Well, welcome to uh, well, to welcome to everybody, but maybe in a particular way tonight to our first responders, our people who have um, just serve serve the community in so many ways, our police and fire and all healthcare, uh, all people that just. Uh, put others first in, in so many ways. Uh, this is something that we should always do, uh, be express gratitude, especially these days, particularly these days, maybe maybe louder than ever and more often than ever. So thanks to all, uh, all who serve in uniform, uh, everybody who's here tonight. Yeah. So I... Uh, I saw Jimmy Buffett, Buffett the other night uh, at Jones Beach. Um, it's a great night. Uh, I had never seen him in concert. If you'd ever been to or never been to a uh, Buffett concert, I, mean, I remember hearing about them, and now I finally I witnessed it. It's just it's an experience. Uh, the whole tailgating thing is really wild. People showing up hours, hours uh, before the concert. Parrot heads who were just kind of, they love it. Um, a lot of them come to the, don't even go into the concert. They just, they're just there for the whole experience of it, which so is very exciting. It's a lot of energy as you're getting closer to the, to the show. Um, so many great songs. He's 74, Jimmy Buffett, which is you'd never know it because he, uh, he's great. He's just like so much energy, running all over the stage. Um, the last song he sang uh, before the encores was uh, Margaritaville, which. Not a big surprise. I mean, we all kind of knew it was coming, or was hoping it was coming. Um, but it was really amazing. Uh, like 15,000 people singing, like every line of the song, like in complete unison. It was like a, it was like a choir. Uh, it was just really, really kind of powerful. Um, it's interesting how certain songs just kind of come to define a performer. Um, they may have had lots of hits, but there's one song that just just becomes theirs. Um, a couple of years ago, I saw Billy Joel at the Garden, uh, Piano Man. That was 20,000 people, same thing, same kind of amazing experience. Um, I was uh, reading a couple of days ago that Tony Bennett um, is retiring from performing. He's, not, he's 95, um, and he's uh, no longer going to perform in concert. He's going to continue to record. Um, he has, I guess, the beginning of, of Alzheimer's. Um, but how could you go to see Tony Bennett and not hear, I left my heart in San Francisco? How do you go see Springsteen and not hear Born to Run? You know, you could debate, I think, whether those songs are actually objectively their greatest songs. But for whatever the reason, it's the song that we love. It's the song that people just most connect with. And you just see it in those moments. I remember reading this article uh, at about kind of just this. It was about what they were calling signature songs. 
when an artist is just kind of what I'm talking about, just associated with a particular song, like they have to play it. The article was saying uh, they're often, the performers are kind of conflicted about it. Um, hey, they recognize very much that the song made him famous and it made him rich and probably got him a certain kind of lifestyle, so they know that. But a lot of times they get tired of singing it because it's just so expected. Um, they feel like they've been kind of pigeonholed by it. How do you go see Don McLean and not hear American Pie? Like, you just you have to, right? Well, anyway, this article, they said, uh, eventually what often happens with these performers is uh, they get away from the song, and they stop playing it, but eventually they kind of return to it, and they kind of make peace with it. Because they just realize, like, the people just want to hear it. And they kind of accepted the fact that I can't really separate myself from this song. It's just too important to the people. Um, I was thinking about this. How about Jesus? Do you think he has a signature song? Like if it was like Jesus live in concert. Like, what's the last song before the encore? You know, it wouldn't be a song in his case. It's what's the, what's the message? What's his signature message? Maybe the Beatitudes? You know, were they his finest moment? Or maybe it's one of the Beatitudes, or maybe it's the Our Father. Maybe it's one of the parables. Think about like the prodigal son. I mean, that, that's timeless. We never get tired of hearing that story. The lost sheep. You know, the image of Jesus washing the feet of the apostles. Could that be his signature song? I mean, you really could debate it, right? In fact, you should debate it. It would be a really good conversation. But tonight, we've got Mary's signature song. And I don't think there's any debating it. This is it. What we just heard, this Magnificat, that's her signature song. It's actually the, it's the longest, it's, it's the longest, the most spoken words by a woman in the, in the New Testament in the Gospels, in the New Testament. There's no other passage where a woman says as much as what she says here. In fact, it's the most that's said by anybody, any, any woman in, in, the, in Scripture, uh, in the New Testament. So this is her song. This is her signature song. So let's look at it for a minute or two. I think it's almost like it's almost like in a couple of parts. The first few lines, she talks about just how she feels about God, her love of God. My soul proclaims his greatness, she says. My spirit rejoices in him. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. Like, God is good. But then it kind of shifts a bit. 
and it gets, I don't know, more serious. You get this description of God. We have Mary telling us what God is like. See, this is worth hearing. <laughs> this is worth really listening to. This isn't some theologian's take. It's not some artist's interpretation. It's the Blessed Mother. And she's saying, hey, this is how God is. She says, he'll scatter those who are proud and he'll topple rulers from their thrones. She says that he, this God performs mighty deeds with his arm, like he's strong and he's got power. And he'll lift up the lowly and the humble and the weak. And he'll feed them. And he'll fill them with good things. It's all about a God of justice and hope. It's about a God who does not tolerate bullies and tyrants. And it's about a God who rescues the weak and the wounded and the vulnerable. You know, this prayer, this Magnificat, this song, over the years has actually like been banned, prohibited in certain countries at certain times. People were told you can't speak it, you can't pray it, you can't sing it, in public anyway, because people were threatened by it. The people in power, corrupt governments, bullies, because they knew if they really take these words to heart, they're not going to put up with this. They're not going to accept the oppression. So in India, Guatemala for a while, Argentina, uh, Argentina for a period of time, it was like, no, you can't, you can't even speak these words. That's how threatened these thugs were. Remember Oscar Romero? He was the, uh, the Archbishop of El Salvador in 1980. He was murdered. He was saying mass. And these uh, gunmen bust into the church and they shot him on the altar because he was speaking out against the bullies. And he was trying to represent and defend the lowly and the weak. Now he's a saint. They say he used to reference this prayer all the time. Every chance he had, he'd express it to the people because he knew if they hear this, they're not going to give up. The lowly will find hope and they'll stand up to the tyrants. There's a uh, German Protestant theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He lived back in the 1930s and 40s. Um, he publicly resisted the Nazi regime. Ultimately, they arrested him and killed him. They hanged him in a, in a concentration camp. He loved this prayer. This prayer sort of inspired him to speak out and to be fearless. This is how he described it. He called this Magnificat, this signature song, the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung.
So this is a song that we need to know. Like we've got to know this song. We've got to know the words. We've got to know what it means. Because if we don't, we run the risk of getting it wrong on God. Because sometimes we, I don't know, we create our own image of a God. Or maybe we've been taught by somebody a sort of a, an unhealthy version of who God is and the way God is. Well, kind of go to the source. Go to the mother of the source. So this song, you got to know it. Jimmy Buffett, Tony Bennett, Bruce, Billy Joel, I mean, you don't have to know their songs. Actually, Bruce, you have to know. You have to know Bruce's songs, no matter what. You don't have to know their songs, but we all do, because we love them. But Mary's song, you know, when I was in, back in January, when I had COVID, um, I had a couple of, couple of friends of mine who sent me these uh, documentaries to watch, just to kind of pass the time during lockdown, and I, uh, one of them in particular I, uh, I watched, it was about this, uh, this movie director, kind of about his, describes his career and his life, his career more than anything, his name is uh, John Avildsen, not super well known, um, certainly not Spielberg or Scorsese, everybody knows them, I guess if you're a movie person you'd know John Avildsen, but if you're not, particularly, I don't think you really would not nearly as famous or as successful as the others. But that's kind of the point of this documentary. He worked for about 30 years and he made about 25 movies. But most of them really weren't that good. They were like kind of at best average. Some weren't even average. And the, this documentary kind of says it. But he made two movies that were the exception. He directed Rocky in the 1970s, and he directed The Karate Kid in the 1980s. Well, everybody's seen Rocky, and probably most everybody's seen The Karate Kid. The name of this documentary was The King of the Underdogs. This kind of average filmmaker struck gold twice, and both his stories were like the ultimate underdog story. I mean, think about it. Take both of those movies. It's kind of the same storyline. Different characters, different sport, different location, but it's completely like you're gonna fight the number one person. You're gonna go up against the biggest and the baddest and the strongest, and they do, and they win. Rocky and Apollo Creed. I forget the Karate Kid's name, but the Karate Kid and uh, Cobra Kai. What was that? Danielson. That's right, Danielson. <laughs> but those those stories are. Uh, I remember my mother telling me that 1976. My mother and my father they went to see Rocky in Elmont at the Argo. It was one of those big old theaters they don't really have anymore. And she said she'll never forget it. She watched the movie and at the end of the movie, 
everybody stood up and applauded. Like the movie got a standing ovation. She said she'd never seen that before. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a live person was there. It wasn't a, a concert. But that's what that movie did for so many people. Like it made us stand up and cheer. Because those who are proud will be scattered. And because the rulers will be knocked off of their thrones. And we need that to be true. When we feel lowly, when we feel like Rocky, and we're going up against something that's just objectively bigger and stronger than us. And I'm not talking about boxing, I'm talking about just all aspects of life. When you feel kind of lowly, and I'm thinking of again the people that we remember tonight, people who respond to emergencies, people who step into people's lives when they're scared to death. And they lift up, you, you know, you, you people, you lift up the lowly. You play out this signature song. So the question, or a question I'll, I'll leave with you tonight is this. How good are you at recognizing the underdogs? How good are you at recognizing the, uh, the lowly? And then how good are you at lifting them up? And anybody who's been to school, I don't care if it was you going into second grade or if you're, it was 65 years ago that you were in second grade. I think everybody who's gone to school is like, yeah, I knew a kid who was kind of lowly. I knew a kid who was laughed at. Made fun of, excluded. Did we do anything for that kid? Well, fast forward, go to the back end of a person's life. Somebody who's in their last chapter of life and they spend too much time alone with not enough people to talk to. And they don't get the visits that they've earned because we've become too busy. They're lowly. They're the underdog. Oh, hey, maybe it's somewhere between the kid and the, and the old person. Maybe it's a, a middle-aged parent or a single parent who is just objectively overwhelmed. And something we could say or something we could do could go a long way. Like thanking, a, like thanking a police officer for working a sort of thankless job. Expressing gratitude to a cop when they seem to get dumped on all the time, certainly in the press. Thanking a nurse for the last two years. Just expressing gratitude. So we need to know this song. We need to know Mary's signature song. We need to know it so we can live it.